right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. What's up? We're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, as always. And we have three guests joining the show today. Samaya Nichols mm. having a phenomenal freshman year for the KU women's basketball team. He's going to hop on with us at 345. KJ Wright, former Super Bowl champion, is going to help us preview the Super Bowl coming up at 530. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join us at 405. We also will get to some Bill Self audio. We have a fun game to play. So should be a good show. Yeah, I'm glad you're going to have a couple games to play before you uh, head out. That's right. Got to get good. you fired. First things first, though. Got to get me fired from UTSA. Yeah, that's right. We're going to start off with Fun With Numbers Part 2. We did this yesterday, and we got caught up on just a couple of them, so I wanted to get through the rest at some point today. Uh, We're going to start with this number. Been a lot of talk about the KU bench, which has not been very good, which, by the way, Bill Self was asked about this today. He said, is the bench something that is just tough to build nowadays with the transfer portal? He said no, which I think is the right answer. I mean, think about it. UConn had a really good bench last year. In the transfer portal. Yeah. Like, there are teams that have good benches. Yeah. Kansas yeah. has not been one of them. It's not, yeah, it's not like every team around the country just has five right. guys and nobody else. Right. So, anyway, overall in Big 12 play, KU has gotten 339 minutes Sheesh. from a combination of Parker Brown, Elmarco Jackson, Jamari McDowell, and Nick Timberlake. And, yes, that does include the three games that Elmarco Jackson has started, the one that Kevin McCuller was injured, and the two before Furphy became a starter. So, some of those mo- minutes are inflated a bit from adding starter minutes. But the point being, Marco Jackson is coming off the bench now. Sure, yeah. So basically, for all intents and purposes, 10 games, 339 minutes, that means your bench on average is playing, or these bench guys in Big 12 play have played 34 minutes per game. They've only scored 73 points, which means that that would only be 7.3 points per game in 34 minutes per game. On 26 of 65, which is 40% from the field, and 9 of 30, or 30%, from three-point range. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. 7.3 points per game from one individual is not that bad. 34 minutes, though? I mean, that's I mean that, that's kind of what Dewan does. bad. Yeah, but he does so many other things. <laughs> Can you afford to have two Dewan Harris's offensively on the court at the same time? Oh, no. No, you definitely can't. Right. Because that's almost what you had with El Marco, except El Marco was worse in a lot of stuff. Yes. And that's why Johnny Furphy got like Nick the Timberlake. Start. Okay, if Nick Timberlake's scoring <laughs> at the same level of Dewan, guess what? Nick Timberlake doesn't pass like Dewan. He doesn't defend like Dewan. No, that is definitely true. Yeah, it's not great. And it made me kind of think back to that mailbag question we got yesterday about Bill Self giving a leash to the bench or giving a longer leash to the bench. And it's a really tough proposition uh, because on one hand, you do want to be able to feel like you have preferably, you know, two guys, I would say, off the bench where you can say, this is somebody we can rely on if one of our starters gets in foul trouble. 
if we, you know, if for whatever reason we just need to change a pace off the bench or something, a spark, you'd like to have at least one, preferably two guys off the bench that you can go to reliably that are going to, there's where there won't be a significant drop off in play. The problem you run into, obviously, is, and I kind of, we kind of touched on this yesterday. The problem you run into is if you continue to play some of these bench guys and you want to give them a longer leash, you want to give them more minutes in game because you want game experience for them. Well, if they continue to suck, then all you're doing is you're doing two things. Number one, you're crushing their individual confidence, right? Game experience is great if you're able, if it's if it's constructive, if it's positive, if you're able to kind of build off of it. Game experience is not great if you're just getting cooked and fouling every time and throwing the ball away and not making shots. Okay, and there's a fine line between that between it being constructive and being okay. This is something we can utilize versus. Now you're you are potentially only further damaging the confidence of those individual players, right? And when we look at Nick Timberlake specifically, just as an example of this, he shot over forty percent three seasons at Townsend. So it's not a question of can he make threes, right? Which leads to okay, well then what's the issue? Well, it seems like it could be a little bit on the mental side, okay? So if you want to throw him out there and he's going to keep breaking threes, guess what? That doesn't solve anything. In fact, that probably just makes the situation worse. So it's it's a fine line, right, but between those two things. And that's the issue you run into. And on top of that, if you if your bench is struggling but you want to give them a longer leash and you want to say, okay, hey, maybe you know these guys need the game experience, well, if they're going out there and they're not performing at a high level, you might even be worse than 6-4 and four in conference right now. Okay? If you, if you say, if you're just going with the mindset of, hey, Nick Timberlake is going to play 15 minutes. Marco Jackson is going to play 15 minutes. They're going to play. We're, we're, you know what? We're just going to put them out there. They're going to play those minutes, whatever. You might be worse than 6-4 and four in conference right now. Okay? So you have that issue to contend with. And obviously, we all know, Bill Self, what does he value most? Winning. And it's just it's just not happening with, with, with the guys that, that he has right now. And... It's tough because again, you do want to have that, and you'd like to see somebody develop. And this kind of goes back to the idea with the with with practices, right? If these if these guys aren't showing it in practice, at what point do you think they're going to show it in games? It may not happen. It could not happen that way. So it's 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 obviously you're between a rock and a hard place. I think, especially this late in the season, right? I mean, back in Back in December, January, you're, it's a lot easier to have this conversation because it's, well, you know, whatever. Okay, you know, they'll, they'll come along. Well, guess what? They ain't coming along, and now you're into the first week of February. Mm-hmm. So it, the time for these guys to, to build some confidence, to, to feel a little bit better, was four weeks ago. And instead, what happened? Four weeks ago, El Marco starts conference play, and he's so bad that he gets benched. And Nick Timberlake has not really been that much better. He hasn't been able to string the other two games all season long. Parker Brown's your best bench guy. And that's and that's not that's not because he's he's, you know, doing great. It's just because he's not screwing up as much as the other guys, I guess. And I thought it was really interesting. Bill Self even talked about this a little bit more at, on Hawk Talk last night also about doing a better job of getting his starters out. And Maybe this is sort of Bill Self recognizing, okay, you know what? I can't continue to play these guys 35-plus minutes a night. 
even if it means we're going to win games now, it's not a recipe for success long term. We've had the discussion about is Bill Self now that he has now that he's at the stage of his career, is he less focused on Big Twelve regular season and more saying, "Hey, let's go out and let's get let's get the big prize, let's go win a national championship, let's go cut the nets down." I don't know. Is that is this a, is this maybe a subtle sign that he's kind of acknowledging that or recognizing that? Could be. And you know, we've had that conversation before about let's say you go out and you lose two of your next four games or two of your next three games, and at that point you're you're pretty much out of Big Twelve title contention. Does the does the mindset then shift to maybe what I just said, which is yeah, okay, you know what, screw it, Nick Timberlake, Elmarco Jackson. Even Jamar McDowell, they're going to get 15 minutes per game. We're going to cap Hunter Dickinson at you know 28 minutes per game. We're going to cap Dewan Harris at 32 minutes per game. We're going to cap Kevin McCuller at 32 minutes per game, whatever. And we're just going to do that and hope that it, by doing that, those guys will maybe will get maybe will potentially get a little bit better. And also, you're going to have fresher legs for your starters heading into the NCAA tournament. I, I, you and I, I think, kind of both in agreements on this. I don't believe Bill Self would ever do that. Just because he wants to win too much, he wants to win. He he's a guy that wants to win every game he coaches. So that just doesn't seem like something that's that's really going to happen. And even if it did happen, I don't think Bill Self certainly Bill Self would never admit that that was what they were doing, right? Yes. So, so I I don't know. I guess maybe we'll see how things play out in these next two weeks, and maybe that's the case. But but I do think it's interesting that Bill Self is now starting to publicly acknowledge, hey. I got to do a better. I got to do a better job. You know the the analogy that he made on Hawk Talk last night was, "Hey, if you tell somebody to show up for work at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and you tell them you need to perform at this level, and we're not going to tell you when you're done for the day, <laughs> I we're not going to let you know when you're going to come out. As at some point, those the your your employees are in this place. You know the analogy being the players. At some point, they're going to be like, "Oh God, I don't know when I'm going to come out again. I got to start conserving energy. I got to start." Not going as hard for this offensive rebound. I got to start, you know, taking a few possessions off here and there to make sure that I can still keep going. Whereas if you say, "Hey, listen, Hunter, at the you know we're gonna play five minutes and then you're gonna get a minute or two off at that point," then you know you know you have a you have a sense of a finish line and you know, i.e., when you go to work every day, it's hey you're gonna show up at eight eight o'clock nine o'clock and you're gonna go home at five o'clock or you're gonna go home at whatever you know right. That was the analogy of the Bill Self game. Uh, so, I guess again, I, it, it it's hard to say, but you're now sitting in a situation where if you do lose, you know, two of your next three or four games, you are out of you are pretty much out of Big Twelve title regular season contention mm-hmm. at that point. And is there an introspective self evaluation done by Bill Self by this key basketball coaching staff to where maybe they do say, "Hey, listen, are we have a we've had a bigger goal all season long." The Big Twelve title is sort of a it's sort of a it's a stepping stone to that big to that goal. But even if we don't get the Big Twelve title, that doesn't erase what we're really chasing. So do we need to take a different approach and say, hey, we do need to, you know, let Hunter Dickinson not play thirty three minutes a game. Make sure that DeJuan Harris isn't playing thirty eight minutes per game. Kevin McCuller, you know. Johnny Furphy even. A guy who is a freshman who is not used to this amount of games I'm sure this 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 rigorous of a schedule and I, I also did want to point something out though uh something we didn't really mention with the K-State game the K-State game the first nine minutes 
there was not a whistle. KU and K-State, they played nine consecutive minutes. They missed the under-16 timeout entirely. There wasn't a whistle. They played nine straight minutes. Now, that is brutal on top of everything else that we're talking about in in that one specific game. So that that really sunk. That maybe probably hurt KU too as well in that K-State game. But it's an interesting discussion to have with the bench. And, again, it's a discussion where back in December, back in January, you're like, meh, you know, whatever. We're good. Well, guess what? Now it's February. And the numbers you just outlined, those boys on the bench, they're not contributing on a, on a consistent basis. And it's becoming more and more clear that that is a larger issue. Right? Does Nick Timberlake hit two threes in a game the rest of the season? I would think so. Yeah. yeah. I would take that bet. There's Three. what? There's what? There's 10 games left? In the regular season? Uh, eight. Eight? Oh, eight games. Right, because six and four, right. Yeah. Are we counting? Yeah, all of it. Okay, even in the tournament? Sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, yeah. You got you give him... What about three? You give him 11 games? Well, has he even hit, has he even hit three threes in a game this season? I feel season? like he did in maybe the Yale game, and then maybe the, uh, the NC Central, like the first game where he had like 12 points. Are you sure about that? No, I'm not sure, but... <laughs> I feel like maybe... I don't know. I would be confident with two. With three, I'm not confident. Okay, let's see. So he hit, hit two he against hit, West Virginia. He hit three against Yale. Three against Yale. That's the only game. Oh, no. And then three against NC Central. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. So he's done three twice. Mm-hmm. He's only done two once. That's what it so is. I guess, so I guess I shouldn't be, maybe I shouldn't be as confident no. that he's going to hit two in a game. If you could just be like, just do these one things. Like, don't be all-around players. Nick Timmer, like, just hit 38% of your threes the rest of the way. Cool. And Marco Jackson, just play fast. Like, you are fast. You are athletic. <laughs> just just run hard. I don't know. Be aggressive. Uh, those are the things that I'm kind of looking at. How about this one? Hunter Dickinson has only made one of his last 17 threes. That dates back to the Oklahoma game since Furphy's been starting. I don't think there's any, you know, correlation there. I think that's no. just... Um, although Jamie Shaw would try to tell you differently. Anyway, uh, <laughs> definitely some shooters regression because yeah, he was at, he was at he like sixty like percent at yeah. one point. Like there was bound to be regression. I didn't think it would be this big of regression where he's down to thirty five percent. But like the the process still looks good. He's taking open ones. Yeah, uh, the ones he missed against K State were like halfway both, down yeah, and popped out. Right. Down. Yeah. Um, I think this is something where you have to just keep shooting. In fact, okay. I would still even with him going one of seventeen. I know this sounds crazy. He's only taking like one or two a game. I would actually shoot more. You know, maybe that's what you need to get out of the slump because it, it's got to be difficult trying to find rhythm if you're only taking one or two a game. I think he is, okay, Furphy and McCuller are probably KU's two best three-point shooters. Dickinson might be third. I mean, among I mean, the players I who play. Jankovic would, would be up there, right? DeJuan is DeJuan's Oh, yeah, that's third. a good point. DeJuan would be up there uh, still. But again, he, I mean, oddly enough, uh, DeJuan is shooting not as many threes as, as Hunter. Yeah. Dickinson is shooting 59% on mid-range twos. That is in the 92nd percentile in the country. So he's still hitting jump shots. Yeah. For a team that I think should be shooting more threes, they've shot him at a decent enough efficiency. I would actually like to see Hunter take three or four a game. Yeah, and it's funny because when Hunter came from Michigan, it was kind of like, oh, you know, he can he can shoot three. He can he can you know he can space the floor. He can shoot threes and whatnot. But he didn't really do it at a high volume. You know, at Michigan. In 2022-23, last season, he shot 57 threes. He's shot 48 already this season. 
in 11 less games. In 34 games at Michigan, 57 threes. In 23 games for Kansas, he shot 48. So he's shooting the highest volume he shot in his career, actually. Because you go back to 2021-22, he shot 64 threes that season at a much lower percent at 33%. He was at 50, 42% in 2022-23. And because of the fact that he's won for 17 now, his current percentage at Kansas is down to 35. But if you want to do a little math here, and you know I'm not very great at math, but just follow me here. 33 in 2021-22. Okay. 42% in... Yes. 22 23. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now he's under now he's taking more volume threes this season with Kansas. So I think it's fairly safe to assume that his sort of quote unquote true three point percentage is probably somewhere in the middle between 33 and 42 now that he's taking more volume. Right? Yeah. Because he because on the same volume, basically same volume. He took seven, he actually took he took more threes in 2021-22. He took less last year. But if he takes more this season, which he's on pace to certainly do that. And he's at 35% right now. You feel like by the end of the season, if you keep shooting and how you think he might shoot, the number could go up to like 38% from three this season. Which, if he shoots 38% from three, that would put him firmly as the third best shooter on the team, probably percentage wise, I would think. Maybe even second. That's, that's going to be above, it'll be above Kevin. Yeah. And it could be above Furphy. I mean, DeWan's at like 47% right now on lower volume, obviously. Well, on the bright side, uh, Hunter Dickinson is now KU's highest-rated player by defensive BPR on Evan Miyakawa's site. He is second in the Big 12 in that metric. We've talked a little bit about that, you know, I, I don't think the, the defense is maybe as, as much of a negative as maybe we were worried about in the offseason. Yeah. And continue to be like, yes, there are certain matchups where if it's a mobile five-man, if it's a team who can really pace and space it, yes, there are certain negatives that having Hunter Dickinson or, or playing the type of defense you have to play with him has an impact on. But overall, like it, it has not been that much of a negative as, as you would kind of expect because um, he's second in the Big 12. Kevin's fifth. Dewan is 19th. KJ's 34th. No one do else you, for KU's top 100 for once. Do you get the sense that potentially Dickinson's defensive numbers might be somewhat inflated by the fact that he's not having to go against really elite big man competition down low. Yes, I do think so a little bit, but also in today's day and age in college basketball, outside of like the Big Ten, there's not just a ton of like back to the basket, you know, big men. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like even in the NCAA tournament, unless you're playing like Purdue or Creighton, Creighton, yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, I mean it's, UConn, it's not like obviously. a long list of, but even then, like UConn, Klingon is a really good player. I wouldn't yeah. call him like some offensive. No, I know. You know, mastermind. no. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call Cockburner that either. From Creighton, yeah, but they're big dudes that can post up that way. Sure, I. I guess that that is entirely possible, but um, and you could also say, well, he's always out there with Kevin Kohler and Dwan Harris. That's going to help your lineup ratings defensively. It is, but guess what? He's ranked higher than those guys who are out yeah. there with him. So, yeah. One final thought on the three point shooting. You mentioned with Dickinson shooting more, and like we talked about, Dwan Harris shooting more. I just wonder though, is it not? Is this not a situation where this is just KU? Just they they are who they are at this point. They're not a team that's going to shoot more than 15, 16 threes per game. And that's just how it's going to be. But you know what's weird? They were shooting that little amount of threes before Furphy entered the starting lineup, and now they're doing the same. I know. So it's almost like Furphy has added a bunch of threes, and everybody else has been like, I'm going to take less. <laughs> Instead of it being like, 
we're going to add his threes to what we're already doing. But that's my point is that I, I get the sense that KU, they, this is just who they are. I don't think they're going to ever become a high-volume team. I think you're probably right, and I'm not asking for them to be high-volume. I'm just saying, can you not be like one no, of the lowest volumes in the country? I was about to say, yeah, because you know, last, we talked about last season they were around 20 a game, right? And that was still in the lower third of the country, I think, mm-hmm. at 20 a game. Now you've dipped even lower, but that just feels like that just feels like who they are. It doesn't feel like it's going to change. It doesn't feel like they're just going to suddenly be like, okay, we need to shoot you know X number of threes per game. So. I don't know. I mean, that maybe they do need to do that, but it's hard to say because, to your point, Furphy shoots more, but nobody else is shooting anymore. Right. So, I don't know. It's just kind of a, I guess, weird conundrum. That's just who they are, I guess. They're not a three-point shooting team. I don't know if, and I don't know if Self wants them to play that way or, you know, I don't know. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is Fun with Numbers, more KU Basketball Edition. We're going to be joined by Samaya Nichols, KU Women's Basketball freshman phenom, coming up in about 20 minutes from right now. You'll be able to hear that game with Kansas and Houston tonight on KLWN with pregame at 6.15, tip-off at 6.30. We also will get to Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, at 4.05. We've got a game to play coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. We'll have uh, KJ Wright on with us at 5.30 and we will get to some Bill Self audio in the 5 o'clock hour, too. So plenty more to come at you. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. So how about this? The uh, NBA trades are ramping up today, and the Utah Jazz traded away Kelly Olenek and Ochai Agbaji, former oh. Jayhawk. To the Toronto Raptors for Kyra Lewis, Otto Porter, and a 2024 first-round pick. Now, uh, oh. what becomes interesting here is you have Ochag Baji and Grady Dick on the same team. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 really cool to see. And uh, also, Grady Dick, Monday night, he had uh, 22 points mm-hmm. against the Pelicans. So it seems like he's getting his opportunity. I know, I think the, Toronto's aren't, the, the Toronto Raptors aren't very good, I think, overall. Uh, but he's certainly getting his chance to, to play and to shine. And it's, it's always cool when you get a chance to see guys reunite, you know, because I think... One of the coolest parts of KU basketball and of of KU players that go through the program is you see so many of those guys that you know whether to the next level or beyond or whatever. A lot of them are really close still, and and it's always cool to see them them interact with each other, with, especially in the NBA. And and now Oach and uh, and Grady going to be on the same team. That's a pretty cool story. And uh, you know it really. I mean, KU when you when you're a member of KU. KU basketball, it really is a family, right? Yeah, and that's probably the coolest part. The coolest part is that even if guys didn't play together or whatever, you know, or even if they cross paths for only a year or two, it's nice. It's cool to see that that those guys, you know, enjoy each other and and things like that. So, uh, yeah, certainly wishing the best for for both of those players, and nice to see Grady getting his chance to, to play a little bit more. And and Ocha has had a solid career so far in the NBA, and. Uh, he, he spent his entire career in Utah, right? This first first time he's going somewhere else, so maybe a, a chance for a fresh start for him, and he can he can uh, continue his career as well. Yep, so cool stuff there. Uh, okay, what do you make of this quote from Bill Self real quick? Because uh, we're going to get to his audio coming up at 5.05. I found this interesting. We probably need to be a little bit more realistic in terms of the expectations that we have should never vary, but the way we go about going after those expectations could be altered a little. Wow, that's a real pretzel. Okay, I quote that. I, I have like. a thought. Okay, let's hear it. 
So my thought, and this goes back, you, you mentioned the, the comment last night on Hawk Talk, right? Yeah. About maybe playing the, the bench a little bit deeper, right? Or just or just kind of giving the starters a heads up of, hey, sure, you know, this is how long you're going to play. Yeah. So I almost view that as, because there is the one way of viewing it where you could view that as, again, we probably need to be a little bit more realistic in terms of the expectations that we have. Should never vary, but the way we go about going after those expectations could be altered a little. There's one way of viewing that, that and I remember there being a similar um, comment like maybe in the 2018-2019 season or something like that about um, kind of adjusting expectations. There have been other years where they've done this too where it's almost like an altered, hey, we might not be as good as some other Kansas teams we have, so like, let's just try to hit our ceiling. Let's not worry about you have to win the Big 12. Let's just try to hit our ceiling and see what that gets us. There's the one way of viewing it. I think there's another way of viewing that in the standpoint of like, we are Kansas. We absolutely do and always will have expectations to win the Big 12. And those do not go away. But instead of us approaching that where every game becomes do or die to win the Big 12, do we start viewing it more from a long-term perspective of, back to the idea that I think they're a better fit for the NCAA tournament than the regular season yeah, in the Big be. 12, do we start approaching it from the standpoint of, Let's more so value the long term. Still try our, our darn hardest to win the Big 12 and still have those expectations that we can and should do so. Yeah. But make the process along the way play the bench a little bit more. Try to give those guys a little bit longer of a leash. Try to give the starters a little bit more rest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that quote could indicate that. And uh, it is it is rather interesting that Bill Self is now kind of coming, like I said, I, I think the... The most telling part of this is that he's he's talking about this stuff more publicly, right, in a, in a public space, in a public sphere, uh, which which typically I think that Bill Self probably does a really good job of, I guess, uh, mediating his message really through the media, right? Like I think he does a good job of of generally if he feels like something needs to be said, he'll say it, or if not, he'll he keeps it, you know, outside of the media. Uh, so that is a very interesting quote to say the least, right? Because to your point, is it more of a sign of hey? You know, this season we might be built better for the tournament, but we're still aiming for the Big 12. And and something else you touched on there that made me think back to last season. Remember, Bill Self said multiple times last season that he felt like last year's team, a lot of the guys played to their ceiling, played to as, as high as they could. And I think Bill Self kind of took a lot of, uh, solace isn't the right word, but I, I guess a, a lot of respect, a lot of, I'm trying to think of the right word to describe that, like, he basically was. He basically felt proud of that. Proud of the fact that, hey, you know, even though that team ended up, they, they didn't win the Big Twelve, mm-hmm. but they, did, they obviously lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament. But even even with even through all that, it seemed like he was he was really proud of the fact that hey, we had a group of guys that all came together and played to their ceiling of what they could individually, right? Uh, and he seemed to, to to be happy about that. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen, in twenty years, you know. Expectations they don't change, but if the team you know one year up or down or whatever, sometimes maybe you have to tweak them a little bit, which I guess is maybe what Bill Self is getting at there. Yeah, I I just think it was uh, kind of an interesting comment. So we'll play the rest of that audio coming up in the five o'clock hour. Uh, meanwhile, across the Big Twelve, there were no games last night, so we've kind of been able to have a chance to uh, sit on it a little bit. Yeah, and look at things here. When you look around the league at this point in time, we're basically at the halfway point. Teams have either played nine or ten games so far. Which teams now are you buying as the legit contenders? It's interesting when you look at uh, some of the betting sites, there is a fall off 
after. I mean, honestly, there's a fall off after Houston at one, and yeah. then there's another fall off after four. Who would you put in the, the conversation? Like, who would you put in the conversation of you would not be surprised at this point if they won at least to share the Big Twelve? Yeah, I mean, obviously Houston has got to be up there, right? They're they're sitting in in pretty good shape uh, overall. I don't want to admit it, but I think Iowa State <laughs> has got to be there for now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to admit that TJ Fratzelberger is a good coach, but I think I got to kind of suck it up here and say, okay, they're they're doing pretty good, I guess. Uh, and then you know, you look at Kansas and Baylor, and Baylor is in a situation where if they win on Saturday against Kansas. They've got to be in that conversation at that point, right? And conversely, yes. if, if Kansas wins, then Baylor might be out of that conversation. I wouldn't quite go that far because Baylor still gets Kansas in Waco. So I, I, I almost view Saturday. Saturday is more so, important for Kansas to win the Big 12 than it is for Baylor because Baylor can still get them back at home, right? Sure. If you're Kansas, you have to hold serve at home. And that's kind of where things no, you are do. in the Big 12. Yeah, so I mean, I think if Kansas loses on Saturday, they're probably probably cooked. Yes. Probably toast, mm-hmm. which is uh, unfortunate. And I guess, I don't know, I hadn't really viewed it from that from that standpoint. I w- in my mind, I was thinking, you know, if, if KU beats Baylor, Baylor would not be as cooked as if KU loses, but I think Baylor would still be kind of cooked, right? I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't. It would not surprise me if they ended up uh, winning the Big 12 because that's what they've been able to do as a program. But given the defense, so after Kansas, I don't love the the defense. I guess they have Oklahoma at West Virginia and at BYU. Mm-hmm. Then they have Houston at home. They still have to go at TCU, and they still have to go at Texas Tech. Yeah, and they still have Kansas at home too. They do get Kansas and Texas at home. Texas too, at home. Yeah. So there's 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 probably enough games there where they could still survive a loss, but probably losing three games there, maybe yeah. four. So yeah, if they lose this game, it's probably not looking. And again, if they're losing three games in that stretch, that puts them at twelve and six. I definitely do think Houston is the front runner at this point. I think Iowa State is clearly right there. Mm. Clearly, I I do because I think they got enough done in the first part of their schedule. And I look at the back half of this; it lightens up in a big way, man. Versus TCU at Cincinnati, versus Texas Tech, obviously at Houston. That's really tough. But then these final uh, five games, I mean, they they should be able to win at least three of them, if not four. You're, versus West Virginia, versus Oklahoma, at UCF, versus BYU, at K-State. I mean, they could go 5-0 and there, right? Not that I would pick them to, because the Big 12, the, you'll just lose one of them. But, like, I, I think realistically, Iowa State could get in the clubhouse 13-5, and five, probably more likely it'll be 12-6. and six. I think Houston will probably end up 13-5. and five. Yeah, well, that's the issue is, right, we, we had that conversation about the fact that when you look at Houston's schedule from this point forward, it is very difficult to f- see games where you're like, oh, yeah, I feel like they're probably going to lose that one. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Kansas, with Iowa State, with Baylor, even like if you wanted to throw Texas Tech or TCU in that conversation, you can find you can easily poke holes and see, well, there's two or three games where they could easily lose. Mm-hmm. You just don't really see that with Houston's schedule. And that's what that's what I think definitely separates them right now from the rest of the group. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Samaya Nichols.
KU stud freshman women's basketball player. They play tonight against Houston. That game tips off at 6.30. Pre-game 6.15 right here on your original home for the Hawks with KLWN. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Kansas takes on Houston, and uh, Jayhawks looking to move to a three-game winning streak. You can hear that game on KLWN, your original home for the Hawks. Samaya Nichols now joins us, a phenomenal freshman year so far in the books for uh, Samaya Nichols. Uh, Samaya, I'll start right there. You guys have won two straight games, and you know recently you also get the win over Iowa State. Uh, you had the the Baylor win a few weeks back as well. D- does it feel like things are starting to click and and you guys are starting to figure things out and kind of playing your best ball right now? Yes, for sure. It feels like things are really coming together. You know, we're stacking practices day by day, and um, we're just really sticking together through this grind. The the early portion of the season and, and some of the early portion of Big Twelve play, I, I'd imagine that could have been very discouraging for you guys. How did you kind of keep a level head or or keep things positive to where now you are kind of surging at the right moment? Yeah, um, I'd say it was definitely uh, very just like frustrating to us, um, but like I said, we're stacking practices. Um, we're coming up with ways to stay together as a team and make sure that our heads are level-minded so we can keep going. And what do you think was the biggest, I guess, learning, uh, I don't know, learning curve or, or thing that you guys learned as a team or you learned as an individual through the first, I don't know, 10, 15 games of the year? Uh, definitely to uh, like play with a chip on our shoulder, you know, um, and also just playing consistent. Uh, we definitely play better when we play better with a chip on our shoulder and when we're confident. And um, I feel like that's one of the key things that we've learned. Well, yeah, when you mentioned the chip on their shoulder, I, I feel like the the stats would show that that's kind of playing off on, on the defensive end of the court where over these last couple of weeks the defense has been outstanding and, and holding teams to, to low percentages and everything like that. Uh, what is kind of the emphasis? How, how important is it? How, how difficult is it to, uh, I guess, defend some of these other players across the country? And, and uh, I guess how important is that to you guys as a team and, and what you want to do? Yes, it's very important. Of course, if they have like a really good um, offensive player, we definitely we attack them. We go at them. We try and limit them individually so that they don't have such a big team success. And, I mean, we have great defenders on this team. Like, Wyvette Mayberry is one of our top defenders on this team. Not one of them, like, is the top defender on this team. And she does a really good job um, locking down their main players. Coming into a team with four returning starters as just a freshman, I, I know you got the, the big pedigree and everything you you did at the previous level, but did you did you realistically think you could lead this team in scoring right away as a freshman like you're doing now? Honestly, no, but um, I mean, it's no, 
No, but it's no different than like going into a game and just feeling confident in yourself, you know. And I feel like that's what I do the most is just going to go play basketball and just letting the game come to me. What areas or, or is there a specific area that you feel like from maybe when the season began to where you are now that you just feel like you've already excelled your game in or you've already grown in or you just feel a lot more comfortable in? Is there is there anything that you feel like is kind of night and day from where you were at the beginning of the season to now? Uh, yes, and that has to do with just reading the court, you know, especially when the game is a lot faster than it was before, you know. Um just reading the court, reading who's tagging off my our best shooter, um, how to pass it to twin. Not sorry, Tayana. That's what we <laughs> we call her twin. Yeah. But ways to get it um, into the paint to give it to Tayana, and just certain reads on the court, and you have to you have to basically react fast, you know, because you only got a few seconds. And I feel like that's something that I've improved in from just this summer to now. Do you have a, a favorite game so far from this season or, or a game that you feel like was, was maybe your best so far this year? Um, I just say Baylor. And I don't feel like that's not even me individually. I just think that we all put in what we needed to do to beat Baylor. And we haven't beat Baylor in a very long time as well. And they were a top um, five team, so definitely Baylor. Well, you've you've scored twenty points in in a handful of games so far this year with Houston Christian, Wichita State, that Baylor game when you had twenty two, and then last game with the twenty two against TCU. Uh, do do you feel those games where where you are scoring twenty plus? Do, does it feel different? Do you feel like you're in a zone or anything like? Uh, I don't know. Is it just something where you just do it and you just happen to look up at the end of the day and it's 20 plus or, or do things feel a little different as you're going? I just happen to look up and it's 20 plus. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, uh, I, I was reading on your bio that you have five sisters. So how did that impact you growing up? How did that impact you in your basketball career? How does that impact you now? Yes. Um, my five siblings, uh, they weren't really into sports. They were cheerleaders. I had one sibling actually who played basketball, and she's the reason why I started to play basketball. But I guess you could say they made me tough because I am the baby. Yeah, and and so I guess being uh, the baby, then um, you don't have anybody that necessarily you're nurturing. But I, I guess you could learn a lot of lessons from everybody uh, in front of you. It's too bad nobody, uh, not everybody, plays basketball though, because you guys could just make your own starting five and, and have a six. No, <laughs> literally. <laughs> uh, it, overall, though, just just making the decision to come here locally, come to Kansas, uh, going to Shawnee Mission West High School, and and having, I'd imagine your your family and your support network and everything nearby and in town. How nice has that been? How often have you kind of been able to uh, connect with your family throughout the year? Mm-hmm. It looks good. Um, definitely now that like my grandparents can come to the game as well, to the games as well, and uh, they don't have to miss out on that opportunity. Um, I, I mean, I love it. I always get texts on either great game or I'm coming to your games. You know, they're always – supporting me, whether that's my family or um, just, like, the fan base that I had when I was in high school. 
what has been your favorite thing about being a Jayhawk and, and being at the University of Kansas so far? Mm-hmm. Uh, the basketball. The basketball part of things and um, the resources that we get. You know, um, like, with it being my first year and just, like, the resources that mean, like, tutors. Like, we have a handful of tutors that helps us with different, um, with many different subjects. And that's definitely helped a lot just because the season's very long and we also don't, we, it's not like they just say, okay, athletes don't do your homework because you have a game. Like it definitely helps that we have tutors and resources that we have. Do you have a favorite class that you've gotten to take or are taking right now? My so this semester, my favorite class is uh, economics. I changed my uh, major from sports management last semester to business. Okay, well, that's that's way harder than anything I did. So uh, hats off to that. Uh, wh- what's the challenge coming up uh, playing Houston uh, in your guys' next game? What what do the Cougars do well? What what are some of the things that they're going to challenge you guys with? Mm-hmm. Um, very athletic team, um, and. Uh, it's kind of like it's going to technically feel like one on one a lot. We have to play defense and play defense as a team to make sure we stop their best players. And so, I guess from from a, a specific level to you, uh, what are the keys to, to you playing well uh, against Houston? Uh, don't force anything and just let the game come to me. All right. Well, Samaya, I appreciate the time, and uh, good luck with the rest of your season. Good luck against Houston, and thanks for hopping on. Thank you. That was Samaya Nichols, freshman phenom for KU Women's Basketball, joining us here on the show. And, you know, you see around the country, and I, I don't want to put these levels of, like, hype or anything, because, I mean, the, the bar to clear is, is incredible, but you see around the country, like, there, there are some of these players who become these ultimate superstars in women's college basketball, like what's happening with Caitlin Clark right now, and uh, you see the impact of that on a women's basketball team, on an athletic department, on an entire sport, and, and it's really cool to see, and the season that Samaya Nichols is having has been unbelievable as a freshman year. I mean, she's so far averaging this year about 14 points per game. She's shooting like 47% from the floor, uh, 40% from three. I mean, she's been outstanding so far this season, and she's just a freshman on a team with a bunch of other veterans that she shares the ball with and, you know, have to fit in in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, fast forward a year, like, who knows? Samaya Nichols might be putting up 20 points per game. She might be seen as one of the best players in the entire country. I think she was ranked as the number 22 recruit coming in, which obviously is a very high rated recruit and uh, speaks to how talented she is but that was even I, I think she had like a I don't know if it was like an ACL or, or whatever injury it was that um, halted some of her senior year of play think about that if, if if you are you are that good as a high school recruit that you basically don't have to play your senior year and you're still a top 25 recruit like that shows you how good of a player you are and what a season it's been for her and uh, more fun stuff to come against Houston tonight. You can hear that game right here on your original home for the Hawks with KLWN, klwn.com, or the KLWN app with Stephen Davis on the call. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, the KLWN app. More RCST after this break in the action. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We are going to be joined by K.J. Wright, former Super Bowl winner, in the 5 o'clock hour to help preview the Chiefs 
uh, Super Bowl game. But uh, right now, we've got Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You'll be able to hear both KU game and the Westwood One coverage of the Super Bowl this weekend here on KLWN. So uh, you got to be out at, at Bill Self earlier today. And we were talking earlier. There there was one quote that I found very interesting. Let me, let me see if I can find the uh, exact wording. But it was kind of talking about the evaluation of expectations. He said, we probably need to be a little bit more realistic in terms of expectations that we have should never vary, but the way we go about going after those expectations could be altered a little. How did you kind of take that? Because we kind of had discussions about how we viewed that. Well, I think the context was he was talking about, um, you know, how much they've asked of these guys minutes per game and the workload and all that. And we shouldn't, you know, downthrottle or decelerate uh, in terms of charting toward a national title and a Big 12 championship and all that. Those expectations stay the same. But, man, we're asking these five starters to do a ton of heavy lifting. When you look back to Monday night's box score and you've got three guys that were all at 44 minutes, 44 minutes, 43 minutes, obviously you're going to have tired legs toward the end. And when an 83% free throw shooter and Kevin McCullough goes one of five and a lot of them are short, well, that adds up, doesn't it? So um, I, I think he was understanding that you know the goals remain the same for this team, but there's a lot of little things that they can do. And he said this last night on Hawk Talk with a really interesting metaphor and analogy when adjusting um, how he talks to these guys about when they're coming out. And he said, imagine approaching your workday at whatever career field you're in, showing up at 8 a.m., but not knowing when the workday was going to end, when your day's duties would be over. And it might be 5 p.m., it might be 9 p.m., it might be 5 a.m. the next day, a 24-hour shift, but they don't tell you. And he said, right now, that's kind of what it is for our guys because they don't know when they're going to get that next breather. And if they knew at some point, hey, coach is going to get me for even 60 seconds coming up, I can adjust the all-out, all-in energy exertion, whatever, knowing there's a finite amount of time I have to get through, and then there's the immediate finish line. And so he said from a a self-analytical, looking in the mirror, what can I do better as the coach? He said he could communicate that and lay that out better, but let's call it like it is. Let's, Let's address the elephant in the room. Players six through nine, and I don't want to put Parker Brown in that category because I think Parker Different pretty role. much, he, he yeah. gives us what he gives us, and you know what you get from him most nights. Not to say he's perfect. That bobble when we were up five late in the first half when we would have had an uncontested dunk and you go up seven, it leads to a 5-0 swing. That was tough. But I think most nights you get what you expect out of Parker. The other three bench players, though, just to call it like it is, and I love these guys, don't get me wrong, not being critical or being constructive, their performances, they don't need to be spectacular, but they need to be a little more consistent to where the coach can trust them just a teensy bit more. I can't remember a Kansas team ever being this thin in terms of proven bench options, and I can't remember us being this late in the season still trying to figure it out. Why is that the case? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Part of it is half your roster you lost in the portal last year, and you were okay with most of those guys leaving, but when you're replacing them all with newcomers, again, five through nine are all fresh guys, they haven't been around long enough to earn a lot of that trust. And to be honest, many of them haven't come along as quick or as fully as we would hope by February the 7th. And so, you know, it's a rare spot to be in this deep in the year, still asking those guys to be a little more consistent and the coach having to have a little more trust. But I know this, 
you can't be playing 44 minutes a game with some of these guys and expect them to be as sharp late as they were early. And he knows that. And so that's where he's going to do all he can from his coaching standpoint. But let's be honest, those other players, and I'm talking Timberlake, Jackson, McDowell, they have to just be a little more consistent when they come in. We're not asking for the world, but just a little bit more to allow the head coach to trust you more. Yeah, and Derek and I were kind of wrestling with that question about the bench of you want to give guys maybe a longer leash to get that game experience, but at the same time, it could also be detrimental to their confidence individually if they're not if they're continuing to struggle, right? So there's yeah. kind of a, a fine line there, right? It's tough, man. You know, Marco comes in the other night and he immediately fires a fastball off the backboard that was three feet wide of the rim and so pops up and looks down the line to get the next guy in there. And, and that's that's how short the leash was, right? But in the time it took to get a dead ball for that person to check in for him, which I think was Nick, mm-hmm. uh, he'd already, I don't want to say a tone, but he certainly had a nice bounce back play with a great left baseline drive and a finish at the rim off the glass, which is El Marco at his best. The first shot, I don't know where that came from, but the point is um, you're still dealing with some of those growing pains in approaching mid-February, which usually isn't the case by now. But when I think about how good Nick was in Morgantown, 12 points in the first half, hustle plays on both ends. When I think about how good El Marco was just last week versus Oklahoma State, I know those are bottom-of-the-league teams, but the point is it's in there. It's going to be tougher one night to the next with better competition. I get that. But, man, you hope they can draw from some of those positive experiences. Don't come in and feel like you have to make some Herculean effort, some sports center play every time. But, but come in, make the extra pass, make the diving hustle play, take a shot if it's there, but don't force it if it isn't. And, and allow to yourself to just keep the bar raised close to where it's at. You don't have to come in and set the world on fire and do something beyond the scope of what's expected. Give the coach, all he's asking for is a couple of minutes to buy their time to get those guys that just took a breather enough to be rejuvenated and reduced. And so that's what he's hoping for there, and hopefully we'll start to see more of that. But it's it's hard to expect that, guys, because this is border in mid-February, and the final stretch of eight games are mostly against ranked teams, so they're going to have to grow up in a hurry. Well, that's where I kind of wondered if the the quote to me was – that that's kind of what I was wondering if if that's where it was going. That hey, we we don't want to adjust our expectations of winning the Big Twelve in the NCAA title, but if it is an adjustment to start playing those guys longer and giving them longer leashes, maybe it can help us long term, and, and we're still going to try to win the title and everything. But I don't know. I, I I don't know if that helps either, though, because even if you play them longer leashes, there's no guarantee that it's going to lead to you know extra extended play. And Nick's kind of brought up that um, what if you give them an extended leash and it continues on or they play worse and then it leads to a loss in confidence or something yeah it's tough he made the comment later in the press conference that you get to the 14 minute mark in the second half and you might not be pulling your starters out after that juncture in a given matchup Mm -hmm. and that's that's a long way to have to go but that's where if if those guys can just come in and and stay with your man you know if you switch ball screens be in the right spot be assignment sound, you know, and and at this point in the season, you'd like to think it's enough ingrained in them, but that's also part of the process of, of in this portal era we live in where you have so much turnover every year, whether it's a 23-year-old Nick Timberlake or a true freshman on Marco Jackson, they've both only been with the program for half a year, and, and they're not 
you know, somebody that you could have brought in off the bench that's been here for three years and understands the expectations a little bit more. It sounds like I'm making excuses and I'm not trying to, but I think it's a byproduct of this new age of college basketball we're living in. And we were not a deep team to begin with for obvious reasons. And clearly the, the, I guess the consistency of that depth has not been anywhere close what we would have hoped. But let me just say, I love both those guys. I love Jamari. I think that the three of them all can still give Kansas much more within this season. And in the case of the two freshmen, a lot more going forward if they just stick it out. But this is kind of a crossroads pivotal time where if Kansas is going to get to where they want to get to, it can't just be those first five. And so hopefully we, we see a breakthrough of some sorts these next couple of games because I know Bill Self's going to try to give him a chance to. It may not be an elongated chance, but it sounds like there will be more substituting at specific times in order to make sure if you're Kevin, if you're KJ, if you're the one, you know at, at this spot and this spot, I'm going to get to come out for a brief breather, even if it's just 30 seconds before the under eight media timeout. We uh, get to hear the KU Baylor game this Saturday, pregame 3.30, tip-off at 5 o'clock, college game day in town, top 15 showdown, another big one on, on a Saturday for KU. When you look at this matchup, Baylor's got a unbelievable offense defensively. They haven't been quite as good. Uh, what sticks out to you about this one for KU and, and what they need to do well to come out on top? Isn't it wild one Saturday to the next? I know. Complete contrast, and they're both really good teams, but last Saturday we're talking about the best defense in America. Scoring defense, percentage defense, all of that. Houston only gives up 52.9 points per game. They only give up 36 percentage points per game in terms of shooting. And and Kansas shoots the best they'd shot since 1997. Was Nick even alive in 1997? Uh, it depends on when in 1997. Okay, it was Niagara. It was probably November. Were you alive uh, no, then? No. Okay, best shooting of your lifetime. Derek, you were barely alive, right? right. Um, no way I would have been watching it. <laughs> right? And, and we score 25 mm-hmm. points more than what Houston had been giving up on average. So I say that as a backdrop to this game because here's a Baylor team that averages 84 a game, one of the best offenses you'll ever see. Five different guys average double figures. Four guys average north of 11 a game. And uh, they've got two players, according to Bill Self, that could be top 20 NBA draft picks. They've been producing NBA picks every single year for a while now. I remember when Scott Drew, 15 years ago, got a guy named Tweety Carter, and it was yeah. a big deal because they had a McDonald's All-American at Baylor, of all places. And now they've turned that thing into a year-in, year-out, I don't want to say recruiting juggernaut, but recruiting force, I think is fair. Mm-hmm. And and you see that again this year. So super uh, respectful and impressed with their operation. I, I don't know what the... Saturday sequel this week looks like statistically compared to what we did to the Houston defense last week. I don't think that means Kansas goes out and holds Baylor to the 50s or anything, but I do think a challenge has been issued. And on the same week that Kansas has two players in the top 15 for the Naismith National Defensive Player of the Year Award, Bill Self said with no uncertain terms last night, as good as Kevin and Dewan have been, and they're both excellent, he thinks they can be even better. And I think you're going to see a dialed-in effort, a team that did not practice Tuesday or Wednesday. They were off their feet both days. They finally get back at it today. Hopefully they'll be feeling good. Hopefully they'll be chomping at the bit to uh, throw these guys in the deep freeze in terms of shooting percentages and numbers and all that. But it's probably realistically a game that's still played in the upper 60s, low 70s, and hopefully we make shots again because uh, as quickly as it came to us on Saturday, it went away on Monday. And certainly K-State had something to do with that, but I expect a great bounce-back effort. I just hope this. I hope we haven't gotten to a point in what might be 
the most dramatically one side to the next, one shift from this extreme to that extreme, home versus away. I hope we haven't gotten to the point in our psyche that when we're at home, well, we're just going to play well and we're going to win because we're at home and that's what we do. I don't sense that from our guys, but I know that when David Lawrence was interviewing Dewan on the post game the other day on Monday, he said, well, you know, we're, we're coming back home versus Baylor, so we know we'll play good there. Then we got to go get Lubbock. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hope we haven't gotten to any even one percentile of complacency that Allen Fieldhouse equals automatic win, automatic efficiency, all that, because it would be easy to think that when you see the stark contrast in how well we've performed at home. And I don't just mean the 13-0 and at home. I mean the way we've won these games mm-hmm. compared to the way we've shot it and closed and all that on the road. Because in 21 years of watching Bill Self basketball, I've never seen the splits home versus away as staggeringly different as they are this year. Well, this is uh, my second-to-last show, so I did want to ask you a other question. What was your favorite RCST host memory when, oh, when you got gosh. to sit in this chair? Man, well, first off, I don't know how much time we have left. I want to congratulate you on a tremendous run. You know, as the guy that created this show in the summer of 2002 – and Washburn Ichabod's head coach, Brett Ballard, was my co-host for those original uh, first two years. Um, I'm so proud of the job that you've done with several co-hosts, and I think you and Nick have been crushing it together. I love your chemistry. And I'm so proud of, of what you've done with you know your daily podcasting and everything else you're doing on top of this. But uh, as the guy that created it, you know, Bill Self talks all the time about being a caretaker of a program. Okay, I'm not comparing RCST to Kansas basketball and him being a caretaker to Fog Allen's tradition and James Naismith and all that. But you care about this place, KLWN. You care about this slot three to six because I poured 10 of the best years of my life into this thing, working with Bud Stallworth and Scott Pollard and David Lawrence and Wayne Simeon and Aaron Miles and Todd Reesing and Jake Sharp. And we had a blast in those days. And to answer your question, favorite hosting memory, it would probably be the day Scott Pollard and I pulled an April Fool's Day prank on our listeners and staged him getting angry at me and throwing a chair in the Hoagland Ballpark press box and storming out, peeling out on his motorcycle that you could hear in the background. And then all the texts and phone calls came in of, oh my gosh, Pollard hates Haney. Can you believe this? I don't think Pollard's ever going to be on the show again. I can't believe how that escalated so quickly. And then he comes back an hour later after I go solo in the four o'clock hour and we say April Fool's. But the point is, you know, I, I poured blood, sweat, and tears into this place for 10 years. And when I left it, I think we've had great hosts afterwards with, with guys like the sports machine, Sean Levine and Nick Schwartz. And, and I think most recently, though, in listening to the show that you two have been putting forth, it's been the closest to what it was when we hosted it 10 years ago. And I'm so proud of the way you guys have gone about it. So tip of the cap to you, your phenomenal talent. I've told you as a guy that had a chance to mentor you a little bit when you were still in school that I absolutely believe with every fiber of my being, if being a D1 major conference college play-by-play voice is the ultimate dream, you're going to do that hands down. I don't know which school it's going to be. I don't know if they're going to be a football powerhouse, basketball, or both like we're about to be at Kansas, baby. (laughs) But you're going to be on the mic doing that because you're that damn good. Your work ethic is tremendous, and I think that uh, the natural talent and ability is there. So it's just a matter of where and when. I'm loving it that you're going to keep doing the Baker stuff. 
uh, even though you're stepping away from the sports talk stuff. I love it that the uh, Locked On stuff will continue as you keep your finger on the pulse of Jayhawk Nation. I'm sure your thousands and thousands of supporters will be tuned in daily to that. But keep pursuing those play-by-play dreams because I mean it when I say it. You've got it. And uh, college sports or professional sports, if that's where you want to be, will be better for it if you keep climbing that ladder and chasing that dream. So kudos, my man. But the last thing I'll say is this. Like, you're stepping away. I'm sure you've talked about it. I don't want to steal your thunder if you haven't. But you're doing this in large part to have, you know, the the best possible benefits and financial security and all that. Because you're a dad now. Yeah. And and you're a happily (laughs) married man. It's crazy how much that changes things. You know, and that perspective and that selflessness to make decisions for the betterment of the big picture of your family is another reason why I'm a huge, huge Derek Johnson fan. So, kudos. And now that you're making all this money... We're going to get you set up with Nate Miller so he can make the best financial investment uh, decisions for your most profitable and secure financial future. Check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Great transition. Thank you, Brian. Uh, by the way, since you mentioned Scott Pollard, prayers up to him, by the way. Yes. I know he's going through some stuff right now, so uh, you can check some of that out on social media if there's any way that you can help. But, uh, Brian, I appreciate the time, man. That, that was very, very kindly said. I, I very much appreciate it. I'll give you the money for the bribe after we get off Not the Not at all, my man. God bless you, brother. <laughs> Proud of you. Uh, that's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. With Brian Haney, Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll get to some Bill Self audio coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. More at the show coming up after this timeout on KLWN, depending on it. Quarter till five, we will get to some Bill Self audio coming up at the five o'clock hour. We'll also get to KJ Wright joining us at 5.30. Former Super Bowl champ will help us break down this year's Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the 49ers. Right now, though, I only have uh, about an hour and a half today, three hours tomorrow. Nick enjoys when we play yeah, games. That's terrible when, when you put it that games. way. I know. Jeez. Um, so we're going to play a game right now, and I'm going to try to get Nick fired. He's okay. been on the hot seat a few times, but he keeps going eight and five, which is like good <laughs> enough to keep his job but not good enough to really ignite the fan base. Yeah, you know, we're 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 in I would say I'm the, I'm at, I'm the head coach at like, you know, BYU Cincinnati. They're like, "Okay, mm-hmm. thinking about making the jump from the American to the Power 5. We need to make sure that we have a guy that we think can make that jump <laughs> and be ready." So it's like, "Okay, you're going to keep winning eight games. Well, we want something bigger and better." Mm-hmm. So I need to I got to I got to prove myself. Overall in 14 seasons, you've gone 123 and 65. Well, that's pretty good, right? Yeah, pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's see, 123 divided by 14 is you average out about 8.8 wins. That's pretty good. Yeah. You've gone 8 and 6 in bowls. You have five conference titles, one college football playoff championship, which was your lone CFP appearance through 14 years. Yeah. <laughs> Last season. Hey, the, the playoff hasn't expanded yet. Come, cut me some okay. slack here. Last season, you went 8 and 5. Just <laughs> typical. Playoff. I think we went 8 and 5 like the last five yeah. years. Playoff has expanded for this season. Okay. okay. We're going to 12, we're 12 team playoff? The game, you might be wondering, what are we playing today? I don't even know what it is. San Francisco 49ers team member <laughs> or waste management golfer. Oh, waste management okay. yeah, waste PGA management Tour open. event that's going on this week. Yeah. In the Super Bowl. 49ers yeah. playing in the Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense? I, I know golfers, I think. So you're going to tell me if it's a golfer or if it's somebody with the 49ers. Could be okay. a player, could be a staff member, yeah. whatever. Okay. Ready? Oh, oh, it doesn't have to be a player? It, could it be... does not have to be a player. Oh, boy. Just a member of okay. the team. That makes it a Front office, coaching. Could be a yeah. media member. I don't know. What? Anybody who's employed by the 49ers. That makes it more could be a janitor. 
How do you know the name of 49ers janitor? I, I don't know. I might or might not. Just getting you prepared. <laughs> All right. Week one. Okay. Colton McKivitz. Uh, my my first. Would you like a spelling on the on the last? Yeah. Name? Uh, well, first name on uh, the first name too. Is it K C? No, it's a C for Colton. Okay. The last name is McKivitz. M C K I V I T Z. I think this is a golfer. Okay. Final answer. Yeah. Final answer. Golfer. He is a offensive lineman on the San Francisco 49ers. There's no way. What? Come on. Ridiculous. All right, that's an 0-1 start for you. That's okay. You know what? This year, we decided to schedule big early. Mm-hmm. You know, so we decided to play, you know, Bama, whatever, Florida State. The committee's not going to... First game know, of the season. Get too mad at you. No, or at least no, no. Putting the effort in. Week two. Yeah, no, we, we, we scheduled a tougher non-government schedule. Adam Hadwin. Oh, that's definitely a golfer. Okay. Is that your answer? Yeah. Yes, he okay, is a golfer. Yeah. Adam Hadwin is yeah. a golfer. I knew that one. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say I knew, knew it, but I knew... That I thought he was a golfer. Yes. Well, you're one and one. It's a good bounce back after we. Yeah, come. there we go. Yeah. So after after Bama, we decided to schedule, you know, Cornell or uh, Citadel, you know, something like that. Get an easy W. All right. Let's see what week three has in store. David Lipsky. I feel like that's a Lipsky, not Lipsy. I don't know if that matters. Uh, it doesn't matter either way. It doesn't <laughs> help me at all. Uh, I think that is a 49ers player slash employee. David Lipsky is a professional golfer. No way, dude. What? What? How? He golfs. It's ridiculous. All right, one and two. This sucks. You're into conference play. Reset the season. You know, you can win your conference. Now with an expanded playoff, oh, true, you win yeah. your conference. There's yeah. a good chance you're making it. Now, That's you are not in the power four. So you do still have to win your conference and finish with a high record to make sure you finish better than, you know, some other schmuck out there. Yeah. All right, week four, George Odom. But it's O-D-U-M. O-D-U-M? Yes. Not O-D-O-M? Correct. George, G-E-O-R-G-E. Yeah, normal spelling. Normal spelling of George. George, George, George. The jungle. That's what I thought, yeah. Or, uh, Watch Curious out George. for that tree. Dude, I watched a lot of Curious George when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Love that show. Had the books. Yep. On PBS, man. Wake up in the morning, eat some eat some Cinnamon Toast Crunch, watch some Curious George. Uh, I think this might be a football player or a 49ers staff person. I'm going to go with the 49ers. George Odom is a safety for the San Francisco okay. 49ers. Okay. There we go. Two and two. Good bounce yeah. back to start conference play. Okay. Week five. We needed that one badly. Matthew Harper. That is a golfer, I think. That was a question. Is that an answer? I think it's a golfer. Matthew Harper is a assistant special teams coach for the San Francisco 49ers. See, how am I even supposed to know that one? I got no shot on that one. I got nothing. I mean, that's a you might, I might as well flip a coin on that one. I got no. What am I supposed to do with that one? Right, you were two and three, <laughs> one and one in conference play. This is horrible. You probably got to win out to have a chance at making the playoffs. Yeah, yeah I think so. Definitely. Week six. Alfredo Gutierrez. I mean, Fredo. Is it spelled like Alfredo? Yeah. I was thinking about having some Alfredo tonight for dinner, actually. Mm. This is like a National Alfredo Day or something? Yeah, I think so. Pasta Day? Yeah. 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 That's a sign that I should have that for dinner. But what does that do for you in this? Oh, for this, (laughs) I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with golfer. I just feel like 
He's probably, I mean, I hate to stereotype, but he's probably an Italian golfer. Mm. <laughs> you don't think Italians can be in the NFL? No, they can. I know the NFL is doing their big uh, promotion, actually, of, you know, promoting that stuff. But, no, I'm going golfer. Okay, well, I don't think you can have chicken Alfredo for dinner tonight because Alfredo Gutierrez is a practice squad offensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, jeez. That's a disaster. You're two and four. People are calling for your job. People are calling for your job. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Back half of the season. You've usually done better in the back half of the season. No, I do. I'm, yeah. You're good closer. We're we're good at making adjustments. Week seven, Jason Kwan. That's a golfer. You were very confident on that. I think it's a golfer, yeah. Why are you so confident? I'm pretty sure I've heard of that guy before. Okay. Well, you definitely have not heard of him because he's a 49er scouting assistant. <laughs> I just have to. Like, how am I supposed to know a 49er scouting assistant? I don't know. Oh. Uh, you're two, two and five. five. Jeez. On the season. Am I even going to make a bowl? You've only not made a bowl one year. Yeah. That was the year I got fired, right? Yes. From yeah. whatever. You were like at an Auburn, basically. Yeah. Week eight. Gideon Yu. How do you spell you? Why you? First name? Gideon, G-I-D-E-O-N. G-I-D-E-O-N. Mm-hmm. See, that makes a big difference. Mm. It was Gideon with an A, <laughs> Gideon with a, you know, something else. That changes the whole perspective here. Gideon you. That's, I mean, that's got to be a golfer, right? Is that your answer? Yes. Gideon you is co-owner of the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> what? I feel like you're just screwing with me. Why do we do What? You were two and six. This is horrible. What a horrendous season for you. Gosh. All right, you got to win out to make a bowl game. I mean, maybe you could get in with five and seven record if you're right. Uh, no, right I APR don't. Score. I'm, I'm you declining my invite. Okay. If I go five and seven, no, I'm declining the invite. Okay. Pulling North Carolina. All right. Week nine, August Mangan. Ma- Mangan? Could be Mangin. Mangin? Oh, so like M A N. M A N G I N. Mangin. 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 Yeah. August spelled like the month of August. Correct. See, I've kept, I've picked a golfer like three games in a row, mm-hmm. and I've been wrong on every one. Mm-hmm. So now I'm getting in my own head and thinking it's surely you're giving me a golfer at some point. Okay. Because the last three have been not have been 49ers okay. random people that I'm supposed to somehow magically know about. <laughs> I think this is a golfer. I, I don't know golfer. August Mangan is the 49ers special teams quality control coach. You're just screwing with me, man. You're screwing with me. Ridiculous. This is not a fair fight. Oh, it's not a fair. Wonderful. This is, I, I'm, you know, the, listen, I'm starting to see Connor Stallions at my games. And I'm thinking <laughs> somebody is stealing, you know, he's out there distributing my signs, distributing my game plans. What, what's going on here? Well, you're just two and seven, my friend. This is uh, bad. You will not be making a bowl game. I don't deserve to make a bowl game. At this point, you're just trying to win out for the seniors. Yeah. Even then, you might I mean, not I'm, save I your mean, job. Yeah, I mean, my job is probably already down the toilet, yeah. too, to be honest. All right, week 10. Maverick McNeely. See, again, are you screwing with me? It's just going to be another 49ers random person? Or are you actually going to give me a golfer here? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say 49ers. It's probably wrong. I'll say 49ers. Maverick McNeely is a golfer. <laughs> <laughs> See, the first time in five games. There, there it is. See, this is what I get for being stubborn. Mm-hmm. Keep picking a golfer, and then at the one time, I'm wrong. Oh, well, that means you are, what, 2-8? and eight? Yeah, this is horrible. You've lost six consecutive games. The season has gone downhill in a hurry. Yeah, thanks for rubbing it in. 
Week 11. Ilm Manning. How, how do you spell that? I-L-M. Ilm? Yeah, Ilm. Maybe this is a long lost Manning say, brother. Say, is this the, or nephew is this the, or something. Is, this, is he related to Cooper Manning somehow? Possible. One of the other Mannings? Could be. Screw it. Uh, 49ers. Il Manning is a San Francisco 49ers practice squad offensive okay. lineman. You did it. Shoo, the game. Jeez. That's your three Holy. Nate. This is going to be bad, but you do have a oh. chance to go out on senior day here, get a yeah. win over probably one of your rivals. Yeah. Yeah. You can save at least a little bit of something here. Yep. Big game. Seamus Power. Oh, that's a golfer. I'm like You're very confident. 90% confident that's a golfer. 90% confident? I'm feeling pretty good. You were correct. Let's go. Take that, rival. So two straight Woo. wins. You won on senior day. Congratulations. But you will not be <sighs> making a bowl game at 4-8. and eight. And the season was so bad, yeah, the you phone, have been fired. Phone's ringing. Yeah, I got the AD on the line here. Yes. Uh, the conversation's not going Boosters well. are no longer supporting you. Yeah. The good news is that by winning your last two games, you showed that the team has didn't just quit on you yeah. and that you have been hired for another job. Mm. That other okay. job is at the FCS level. Ah, uh, okay. One last ride at the FCS level. One last level. ride at the FCS job. level. We will do that tomorrow <laughs> on tomorrow's show. So uh, get to studying. Dude, what do you have to study? I'm gonna. I'm filing a claim with the NCAA. <laughs> there was something going on. People, you know, it felt like the other team knew what I was doing. They had my strategy. They had my game plans. Somebody was stealing my signs. Connor Stallions is involved mm-hmm. somehow. We're going to get to the bottom of this. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down. We will know. We will not go down silently. <laughs> Bill Self audio ahead of the Baylor game coming up in our next segment. Then we'll get to some KJ Wright interview with uh, previewing the Super Bowl. Plenty more to come on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by a Super Bowl champion and former Pro Bowler with KJ Wright. Who I, I think this is kind of interesting because KJ played. A long time for the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, you know, won a Super Bowl, went to the Super Bowl twice. And uh, one of Seattle's biggest rivals is the San Francisco 49ers, who are in the Super Bowl. Then he finished out his career with the Las Vegas Raiders, who obviously the Raiders, one of their biggest rivals, the Kansas City Chiefs. Now they're playing each other in the Super Bowl. But he is down in Vegas at Radio Row. And uh, KJ, thanks for coming on the show. We had you on to talk one of the past Super Bowls with the Chiefs, too. I, I guess, is, is this kind of a weird Super Bowl for you based on your uh, your playing career? It's crazy you say that. My my hatred is pretty it's pretty understandable with the Niners. <laughs> me, me playing ten years for the Seahawks, but um, I only was there for a cu- hot cup of coffee with the Raiders, so I don't have too much hatred towards the Kansas City Chiefs. It's all love on, on that end. All right. Well, the Super Bowl is obviously in Las Vegas. I'd imagine for you being out in Radio Row, this is probably a pretty fun week to to be out there, right? With with everything going on in in Vegas. Although you do got to be careful. But do you think from from a player's perspective? Is this week almost dangerous in, in that you have to stay focused on the Super Bowl and you can't get too caught up in kind of the limelight out there? Well, well, if you are a player um, playing in this football game and you are struggling staying focused, I really question your love for the game. I really question your love for football and what kind of legacy you want to leave, not only for yourself but for the organization. I mean, it's not that hard to say no. It's not that hard to make curfew. This is the – you get once in a lifetime – for most players, to be in this moment. And so I understand it's Vegas. I understand you have all the distractions, all the opportunities to go here, to go there. But, man, you have a whole offseason to do just that. 
And so for these guys, um, I haven't seen anyone at the crap table at the Cosmo or the Aria. <laughs> They're doing pretty good as far as I can see. But um, so hopefully no news come out of guys missing curfew or getting in some sort of trouble. Could you imagine if, if you guys, if the Super Bowl you won, which I, I think that was in, in New York, if I'm right, which I don't know, maybe that would have actually been a lot of fun too. Could you imagine winning a Super Bowl and, and that night you guys get to go out in, oh. in Vegas? <laughs> Hey, because I went out in New York and I had the time of my life. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine it's in Vegas. Um, you just pick any hotel and just, and just have a blast. But um, what we will probably do is um, the biggest the biggest fun that we had was right after the game. We all got together. The Seahawks had a party. And that's where you can just really celebrate with your teammates, your coaches, uh, the general manager, everyone in the organization that had a part in the, the team's success. That's where all the magic happens. But around 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, you hit the, hit the club, <laughs> have some more fun. <laughs> We're talking with K.J. Wright. Currently, K.J. is hosting K.J. All Day. You can check that podcast out, and you can uh, listen and watch on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can also hear him on Seattle's ESPN 710 a.m. at the K.J. Wright Show. Uh, I, I feel like, obviously, in the Super Bowl, you're always going to get a lot of conversation about the quarterbacks. And this year, you have the story of Patrick Mahomes, kind of legacy type of conversation there with Brock Purdy. It's more about, I guess, trying to complete this story from being Mr. Yep. Relevant to come and circle around. And, and you get the, a lot of the conversation around Brock Purdy of, is he legit or not? Is he a great quarterback? Is he a good quarterback? Is he an average quarterback with a lot of talent around him? As a defensive player yourself, what do you see on that side of the ball about Brock Purdy? I see he's a winning quarterback. I see he's extremely efficient. He's a guy that can beat you just throwing a bunch of checkdowns and managing the game. Or he's the guy that can really air the football out and make a lot of noise happen at the same time. He takes what the defense gives him. And that's what really, really good quarterbacks do. That's what Tom Brady did. That's what Tom. That's what um, uh, Peyton Manning did. And so you just look at his body of work. You see his win-loss record. You see he was top five in passing, top five in touchdowns. And so the guy's just a bona fide baller. And um, when you look at him on, on tape, it's like, okay, he gets the ball to Debo. He gets the ball to Kittle. He can hand the ball off 30 times. And so it's about, when I look at this team, it's about all 11 guys on this offense and what they bring to the table. And Brock Purdy is an elite quarterback that did some really, really impressive things this football season. Talking with KJ right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. The other side of the ball is Patrick Mahomes. And you got to play Super Bowls against Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Uh, the one yep. you, you won blowing out Peyton Manning. Uh, with you know the the Tom Brady one, obviously we know what happened in that one. But getting to go against both guys and now seeing what Patrick Holmes is doing, making the Super Bowl all these years, how do you kind of properly compare and contrast him to those other guys and what he's kind of doing right now? Well, I just I don't look at the quarterback per se, but I look at the offense, right? And when I watch film on all three of those guys, we had a beat on the Denver Broncos and what they were going to do, how they were going to try to attack us. And you saw the results when we played Super Bowl 48. Anytime I played a Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, before the ball was snapped, I never knew what was about to happen. I never knew what type of play was about to run, run, pay, pass, play, what kind of concept. And so the offense that they present to you on the football field is a complex offense. I call it, it's kind of essentially backyard football is what I call it. <laughs> and so when you have his ability his ability as obviously as a passer, his football IQ, his ability to, to run. And on top of that, you don't know what kind of play is coming for the ball is snapped. That is extremely, extremely hard for a defender. And I believe with Andy Reid's brain, with Patrick Mahomes, 
football IQ and his ability, that's just a perfect match, match made in heaven. And so when I look at just the type of offenses, I compare Peyton, I compare Tom Brady to Patrick Mahomes in the sense of you got a great quarterback. You also have a great offensive game plan. I, I almost feel silly asking you about the quarterbacks first because we've got a great former defensive player and we've got two good defenses in this Super Bowl with what, <laughs> what the Chiefs and the 49ers have done. Uh, let's start with that 49ers defense against the Chiefs offense. What is it that you think the 49ers defense can do well against the Chiefs offense and are there any areas that you think the Chiefs no. could maybe find success? Well, I surely hope that Steve will win and watch the Super Bowl when the Kansas City Chiefs play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and really, really try to bring that game plan to this Super Bowl. I watched how they beat up Travis Kelsey at the line of scrimmage, how they had a defensive end in his face, how Levante David was pressed at the line of scrimmage and didn't let him just really take over the game. So find a way, if you're Steve Wilkes, to drop a defensive lineman to his side. If you go man-to-man coverage, you better not leave him one-on-one with a safety or a linebacker because it is a mismatch for anybody on the football field. And so a defensive coordinator's mindset in this ball game is take away Patrick Mahomes' um, favorite weapon, force someone else to beat you. I get that's easier said than done, but you have to have a game plan to try to do just that. When you see Isaiah Pacheco, the, the way he runs, how hard it is, what does that do for you as a linebacker on that side of the ball? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Bring it <laughs> home, big fella. <laughs> Just you want to run hard? That means I got to tackle hard. And um, those are always my favorite matchups. When you have someone that has that type of mentality, it gets you ready throughout the week. When you go through practice, when you go through individual drills, you really focus and have a game plan on how you want to attack a running back of Pacheco's caliber. And so he's someone that's a special, special talent. He sets that tone with those guys. He brings that juice. He dances when he gets in the end zone. And so really someone that the team feeds off of, the fan base feeds off of. But if you're a linebacker, you got to make sure you bring your A game. Because he runs hard, he lowers his shoulder, and he'll embarrass you if he has to. I, I don't mean to compare them in terms of what they've accomplished or the resume because uh, Marshawn Lynch is obviously one of the best running backs we've seen of, of this century. But just in terms of the running style alone, like, like does he remind you at all uh, of what Marshawn did? Um, Marshawn was more of – no, I don't, I don't really compare those guys. Marshawn, he's in a class of his own. I'm, I'm sorry. He <laughs> just um... – the way he could shake you in the open field, the way he could run over you. Marshawn's vision, Marshawn's balance was like no other running back that I've really seen. I saw him in practice all the time, went against him in training camp, and I obviously had a front row seat each and every Sunday to watch him do the magic that he did. And so he's just, I just have him in a, a, a tier above what Pacheco brings to the table. And so he's getting there. He's on his way, but it's hard for me to compare those guys right now at this point in Pacheco's career. Yeah, for sure. I, I think a little blasphemous to compare. I just I just meant kind of the style in, in terms of how I, I got it. Yeah. go across. Um, I, I got it. Now, on the other side of the ball, Chiefs defense just held the Ravens to 10 points. They, they haven't given up 30 points or more in a game this season. And Steve Spagnuolo has been, I don't know, one of the most accomplished defensive coordinators that we've seen. Um, certainly I think of like Dick LeBeau back with the Steelers and, and some of the stuff he was doing. And um, when you look at what this Chiefs defense is against a 49ers offense that is loaded with skill players and skill talent, how do you see those two units matching up with each other? Man, Steve Spagnola has his hands here. I just look at the weapons that the Niners have. Uh, obviously at the running back position, two wide receiver positions, tight end positions. 
Steve Spagnuolo is going to have to earn his money on first and second down. Force this team to have those long third downs, those third and seven, third and eight. Um, focus on Chris McCaffrey in those early downs. Understand that they want to get their run game established within the first 15 to really open up stuff for the rest of their offense. And so he has to have the same type of attack that the Packers, that the Lions had. Create that big lead early. Because if you have that type of lead that they had in those first two playoff games, the, I'm talking about the Niners, then I for sure believe that the Chiefs should take over and win this ball game. They won't be able to come back on the Patrick Mahomes. So okay. start off this game fast, create um, chaos and frustration with Kyle Shanahan, and really see, okay, third down, let's see how good Brock Purdy is. He wants to be considered good or great. Let's really throw some stuff at him that he hasn't seen um, all football season. And so if there is someone that can – create that confusion, create that um, chaos for Brock Purdy, it's Steve Spagnuolo. So what do you think it looks like if the Chiefs do win this game? How does that come about versus if the 49ers win it? How do you think the game looks in that way? Well, I believe that the Chiefs do not win. They'll be back. <laughs> as long as we have those two guys and Andy and Patrick Mahomes, he's going to be always competing. He's always going to be competing for um, championships. If you look at the Niners, these guys, they have some – some, some decisions to make with the cap space, guys they didn't want to bring back. Uh, do we build a team around Brock Purdy? Do we pay him top dollars? He's going to have a contract coming up soon. And so I believe the structure and the design of the San Francisco 49ers is they have to win right now because of their, their, um, their cap space and decisions they have to make with some important players. But if the Chiefs do not win, they're for sure going to be back in no time. So it sounds like you are picking the Chiefs, though, as, as you mentioned in the previous question. Do you, do you have a score prediction for the game? I've got 28-24. Kansas City Chiefs winning. Some way, somehow, Patrick Mahomes is going to have the ball in his hands with a few minutes left. Go out there and execute, and he's going to find a way to get it done. All right, he is K.J. Wright. You can, again, check him out, K.J. All Day, his podcast, The K.J. Wright Show on ESPN 710, former Super Bowl champion and Pro Bowler. K.J., I appreciate the time, man. Enjoy your time in Vegas. Uh, Make sure to refuel. All right, man. Thank you. That was K.J. Wright, also Seahawk Man of the Year in 2018 and a member of the 2022 SEC Football Legends class. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll have... Plenty more preview tomorrow of the Super Bowl, including uh, some prop picks and Lee Sterling joining the show on tomorrow's show. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. More of the show after this break in the action. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst 1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst 1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m central time monday through friday on klwn klwn klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of day and see you next podcast